0: Ich heiße Ilsa Müller. Das ist meine Geschichte. Episode 1. Episode 1. Transmission. Transmission. Während dem langen, heißen und uncharakteristischen schwülen Sommer in 1963 und 1964 wurde ein mysteriöses... During the
1: long, hot and uncharacteristically humid summers of 1963 and 1964, throughout much of Europe, a mysterious phenomenon occurred. Whether residing in the remote foothills of Luxembourg or convalescing atop the peaks of the Swiss Alps, an intermittent wave of intrigue swept across the continent on a tumultuous, invisible gust of air, forever changing all who witnessed it. It immediately became a thing of lore and urban legend on equal footing with the Loch Ness Monster or Sasquatch. It remains to those who heard it an unsolved mystery on par with Amelia Earhart's disappearing plane or the truth behind the assassination of U.S. President John Kennedy. Those who never heard him swear it was a massive ruse. It was an epic us versus them, those who heard it and those who didn't. Those who didn't hear thought it was all pure fiction. But those who did hear him have, for decades, wondered whatever happened to that mysterious man who begged, week after week, for two strange summers in Europe, for someone to save his
0: life. Und jetzt? Now, the complete and unberichtete Saga von the complete untold story of the transmissions.
1: The transmissions. <laughs>
0: You are listening to his voice right now.
1: This is the first of what were many cryptic, low-quality radio transmissions heard across Europe in the mid-1960s. Can anyone hear me? Can anybody hear me? He asked. An internet search for the transmissions reveals everything a curious listener needs to know about this half-century-old legend. It was one of the most popular ghost stories German children told around the campfire in the 60s. The radio ghost, they called him. The Spaniards made the man into a folk hero of sorts. They turned him into something like the man in the moon, always listening from the radio waves to make sure little boys and little girls behaved. The Swiss believed the source was an alien broadcast from a distant planet, though why the aliens would have spoken English or had a sort of a British accent was never explained. But the stories are out there. The Russians, French, Italians, Irish... Everyone had a theory, but no one knew for sure. Physical evidence of the transmissions for the 50 years after 1964 were purely anecdotal. It became something of an oral history passed down from grandparents. If you do search for the transmissions... Here is what you will read. All across Europe in the summer of 1963, unexplained and unidentified analog transmissions were intermittently heard by nearly everyone with a radio. All of the transmissions have a few traits in common. They were always of very poor quality. They were all of a male voice telling a very complex and convoluted story, which featured the themes of love and loss and imprisonment. They all concluded with the man begging for someone to save him from certain death. He was to be killed, he said, and soon. The transmission tales also carry with them a vast amount of discrepancy. Some say the voice was of an old man. Some say he sounded young. Some say they heard broadcasts on Fridays, some on Wednesday, some on Sundays. No one ever seemed to hear the same transmission at the same time. That was part of the phenomenon. Two people would hear a similar transmission on the same day but five hours apart. No one ever heard the exact same thing on the same day at the same time. And even more odd, there were variances in what people heard. The other confusing part of the legend is that no one ever heard the broadcast on the same station and no one ever heard it in its entirety. It's unclear how or when it began. In the 60s, people would spend hours scrolling through station after station listening hoping to hear anything from this mystery man.
2: Save her. <laughs> Hold me.
1: So, hundreds of thousands of people all throughout Europe heard something. They didn't know what they were hearing, nor when they would hear more. They didn't know who was speaking, nor what he was talking about. But there were two certainties. Everyone was talking about the transmissions, and whomever it was that was broadcasting was in serious danger, and he needed help. Citizens pleaded with their local radio stations to help them understand what was happening. People wrote letter after letter. People in and around town were meeting at civic centers and in schools or town squares to compare notes and try to build the story of what they were hearing. As people worked to compare notes, they found that the transmissions seemed to be heard out of order. The second part of a transmission would be broadcast before the conclusion of the one before it. It was unexplainable. Of course, there were those that heard nothing. They thought this was fiction, a trick being played by people with nothing better to do. In England, they called those obsessed with the transmissions Bridiots, an amalgamation of broadcast idiots. Bridiots. But the Bridiots stood behind their story in spite of being called names.
3: I remember like yesterday. It became ingrained in my brain.
1: Paco Seguro.
3: I'm old man now and have not heard the soldier's voice for so many years. But there is not a moment when I'm listening to the radio that I'm not waiting for static to break and his voice to begin transmitting on the airwaves.
1: Some called him a soldier. Some called him the Count, the Martian, the convict, the prisoner, the captain. Some called him Michael Smith in tribute to the novel Stranger in a Strange Land due to the fact that he seemed lost in a foreign place. He went by many names, but no one knew for sure what he was, nor where. During his transmissions, he spoke of the war, though it's not at all clear which war he was talking about. He spoke of revenge. He spoke of injustice, and quoted Dumas' The Count of Monte Cristo and Kafka's The Trial in several broadcasts in context to his confusing imprisonment, which seemed not to be accompanied by any kind of accusation or motive. He talked frequently about another old man who was unnamed.
0: Könnte er wohl ein Soldat gewesen sein?
1: Was he a soldier?
0: Had ihn jemand reingelegt? Was he framed? Ein Krimineller? Was he a criminal? No one knew.
3: By 1964, we all had radios. We would coordinate on my street. Everyone listened. We coordinated who listened to which station. We had a schedule. I was a kid in summer school, 10 years old, I think, in 64. My father was janitor in the school and I had no place to go, so I took classes while he worked. I listened in the morning for 20 minutes before I go to school. (laughs) I always listened too long and was late for school. But when I got in school, my teacher, I'll never forget, Senorita Girona, she had big hair, dark curly hair, so messy and big. She had a small radio on her desk. She was listening, too. Everyone was, you know. Anyway, after school, we walk home and we sit by the radio again. We have our schedule in front of us. We would keep um, diary. Uh, Paco listened to AM 840. Soldier transmitted at 0 1400 hours. We would tran- transfer, how you say, t- transcription. We did transcription of what he said. Soldier was in United States at laboratory in West Coast. He works night in a laboratory, works for little money. Soldier's making very little progress. This is what we would write. It made no sense. It was a puzzle. We had a few pieces, and we never knew the full picture. But everyone talked about the transmissions.
1: Those who didn't speak English were still aware of what was going on. They would tune in and listen. Then they would write down phonetically what they heard and send letters to their friends who spoke English, asking them to translate. To say this was an international obsession would be to understate the impact this had across the continent. But when fall of 1963 came and the weather changed, the transmissions became less and less frequent. Maybe it was the extreme humidity that had something to do with the bizarre and unpredictable ways the radio waves were traveling throughout the continent, scientists guessed. Maybe, like a gust of wind pulling leaves from a tree in autumn, the radio waves were strewn about. Like the wind in a hurricane, experts said. Maybe it was the unprecedented heat. Maybe there was an influx of solar activity. Maybe it was something far more complex. By winter, the transmissions had stopped. Summer was over. Everyone went back to real life and tried to move on. People listened from time to time. But nothing came across the broadcasts. Radio was now boring. The music, the news, the same old subpar radio theater trying to be creative. It was all disappointing because he was gone. The following year, when school adjourned in the spring of 1964 and everyone had at last moved on, there was talk of summer travel and going to the beach. The talk had turned to vacations and grilling outdoors rumblings of Americans in Vietnam, and of course, Beatlemania across the pond. Finally life seemed like it was back to normal. And then
2: he was back.
3: started again, but in 1964, we more frequent. He somehow had much more to say, and he had great sense of urgency. He would talk about how his fate was near. He was going to be killed, he said. In 1964, it wasn't just obsession for us anymore. It was life or death.
1: News of the mysterious broadcasts reached America, though not the broadcasts themselves. Americans dismissed it. They equated it to the embarrassing Orson Welles' War of the Worlds radio broadcast in October of 1938.
2: We are bringing you an eyewitness account of what's happening on the Wilmoth farm, Grovers
3: Mill, New Jersey.
1: Wells had broadcast a fake radio theater invasion by Martians based on H.G. Wells's novel of the same name. Many Americans believed the broadcast to be real.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, my aunt ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, here I am, back of a stone wall that adjoins Mr. Wilmoth's garden. From here, I get a sweep of the whole scene. I'll give you every detail as long as I can talk and as long as I can see. The
1: more state police have arrived. They're drawing up a cordon in front of the pit. Please. Wait a minute. Something's happening. Humped shape is rising out of the pit.
0: I can make out a small beam of light against a mirror. What's that? There's a jet of flame springing from the mirror and it leaps right at the advancing men. It strikes them head on.
1: They panicked in the streets, hid in their bomb shelters, and loaded their guns prepared to do battle with Martian invaders. It was not a high point in American history, and in the days following, the broadcast widespread outrage was expressed by listeners, the media, and even politicians. Orson Welles had explained at the beginning of his radio show that it was all theater, a sort of disclaimer, if you will. But there was no DVR or rewind back then. Anyone who tuned in late had no idea what was going on. The show had pretend newscasters breaking in with important updates to the Martian invasion.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, due to circumstances beyond our control, we are unable to continue the broadcast from Grover's Mill. Evidently, there is some difficulty with our field transmission. However, we will return to that point at the earliest opportunity. In the meantime, we have a late bulletin from San Diego, California. Professor Indelkoffer speaking at a dinner of the California Astronomical Society, expressed the opinion that the explosions on Mars are undoubtedly nothing more than severe volcanic disturbances on the surface of the planet. We continue now with our piano interlude.
1: People were freaking out, asking if cities had been destroyed and wanting to know what the aliens looked like. It was chaos. When the dust settled, the people went so far as to urge their politicians to make laws preventing radio personalities from ever doing such a thing again. So, when the mysterious broadcasts started playing in Europe in the 60s, the Americans paid it no attention. They were convinced it was fiction. They have to be broadcast from somewhere, said the Americans. It's radio theater, they said, and not very good radio theater at that. What the transmissions had in common with the War of the Worlds broadcast was that no one seemed to hear the beginning. It was all out of context and for the same reason was unnerving and mysterious. The difference between the transmissions and the War of the Worlds is that 50 years later, the mystery of the transmissions
2: remains. People sent us thousands of letters over those two summers. I was brand new in my job. I had just been promoted to a radio program controller at Hamburg Public Radio Broadcasting.
1: Friedrich Wilhelm, Hamburg Public Radio Broadcasting.
2: I was three months enroll, I think, in the summer of 1963, and I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say we were getting bags full of letters from people demanding to know where the broadcast we are coming from. People were losing their minds. I had the idea to send a standard form letter back telling listeners that the broadcast we are coming from our sister station in Frankfurt now, I have no fear, this is nothing more than a no radio here to broadcast from our sister station, W101 in Frankfurt, uh, nothing to worry about. But they knew we were lying, because the same panicking letters were sent to every station in Europe, and every station in Europe said, don't worry about it, it's coming from our sister station the listeners read in those letters over and over again was, it's not coming from us, and we just don't know what's going on. It was a mystery, the likes of which we'd never seen or heard before. Listeners wanted answers, and so we never said so publicly.
1: In the winter of 1963, when the transmissions had stopped and people all over the world were focusing on real life, school, jobs, day-to-day family affairs, something happened to shock the world.
2: Here is a bulletin from CBS News. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. The first reports say that President Kennedy has been seriously wounded by this shooting.
1: U.S. President John Kennedy was shot and killed in Dallas, Texas.
2: From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. Vice President Lyndon Johnson has left the hospital uh, Kennedy was
1: America's prince, uh, so youthful and full of life and energy. When he died, the high stakes of reality set in for the people of the world. For that reason, the radio mystery seemed a childish preoccupation, something almost embarrassing to have cared about. But when he returned on the air in the squelching hot summer of 1964, it was a welcome return simply because people needed to escape the depressing news of the day. They wanted a new hero and someone to root for. And they rooted for the man in the radio. Uh,
2: mm. I, did, I wish I could face again. She
3: would sing
2: I to
1: Who was he? What was his story? The transmissions have faded into the foggy minds of a dying generation. They have become nothing more than a thing of legend and myth. Whatever secrets that man in the radio had were lost to time and fading memories. Until I found them. There they sat for 50 years. Each transmission recorded, meticulously logged, cataloged, and filed away on a series of 15 reels. All of them in an old wooden navy blue and orange steamer trunk.
0: In the cellar of my grandfather. In my grandfather's basement.